You're listening to Retro Sermons, timeless lessons from the Bible spoken by voices of the past. Thank you and good evening, friends. Welcome to another program of Home Important. It's Thursday afternoon, or let's say we're safe. I'm Bob Walton, your moderator, the minister for the East Columbus Church of Christ. We have with us Brother Aubrey Blue, who will help and assist me, of course, in carrying out this program. To familiarize you, in case you're not familiar with this radio program, each radio program encourages the listening audience on their religious questions. For anything that's of a religious nature that you would desire that we discuss, we encourage you to on the This program is well into the third year, and on each program we have sought to present truth to the listening audience. And of course, we can best present to you when the audience comes in at religious questions and desires to be answered in the life of God's Word. As Brother Blue has pointed out a number of times, the program is a two-way street because you can present truth unto us by, number one, phoning in your questions and let us speak and search the truth. And of course, we are not in power. We can be taught the truth also. The number to call is 328 That's 328-6227. That's the number here at the uh, place where we conduct this radio program. And we encourage you to phone in the religious questions. We had two questions that were phoned in last time, Brother Bruce, you recall. And you were listening on this. You recall there was a question concerning alcohol. I pointed out that I'm opposed to alcohol because I'm opposed to the unfruitful works of God. I'm opposed to alcohol because it's the work of the flesh. And I made the statement that I'm opposed to alcohol at any place, any time, because I believe it to be a thing that will condemn the souls of mankind. Along toward the end of the radio program, there was a question from me that had two parts to it. And tonight we want to give a little more consideration to that. We touched on this last time, but we didn't have time, of course, uh, in view of time that we had. We didn't cover the subject very close. The question was twofold, and I'll just paraphrase the question and uh, give some additional information along the line. The clearest one is no concerning 1 Timothy 3 and verse 3, where the passage says that the elder must not be given to wine. And at the same time, in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 8, they are giving the qualifications of the deacon. The uh, commandment laid down by the Apostle Paul that is that the deacon must not be given to much wine. And the third part of that question is, was this wine that comes to discussion between taxes of alcoholic content was an intoxicating wine. But of course, uh, there are a number of things that we must take into consideration in asking this question. And I'm going to vary just a little bit, if I may, from the use of the which we answer the question, because we're going to read something. A book was written a few years ago by a man in Florida by the name of H.G. Phillips concerning spiritual elders and and in this, he lays down the qualifications of the elder. And one of them, of course, is that the elder must not be given to wine. 
And he begins by saying that some discussion over whether this statement means that a bishop is not to take any wine of any kind under any circumstances, or whether it means that he must be very moderate in taking, that is not addicted to wine. Then uh, he goes on and says that by searching the definition of the word, we can attempt uh, to clarify the matter. He gives the Greek definition of the uh, phrase not given to wine, and the Greek word simply means not or by no means or never at any time given to wine or drunken with wine. He points out that it literally means not subject to wine, that is, not drunk. The passage occurs uh, in 1 Kings 3, verse 3, and in Titus 1, 7. And it refers to what takes place over wine or one who is subject to wine. Paul says of the elders that they must not be given to wine, while saying of the deacons that they must not be given to much wine. It is concluded by some that the elder may never taste the wine, while the deacon may drink a little, so long as he doesn't drink too much. Wine, as he points out, was used both as a beverage and a medicine in the Testament days. All people during the Testament times, as far as I'm able to determine, used it. Wine was used both as a, a medicine internal and external. Timothy was told to drink a little wine for its own sake, 1 Timothy 5, verse 23. Good Samaritan poured oil and wine in the wounds of the half dead man that fell into the way. In the story of the Good Samaritan, according to the 10th chapter. From that, we can conclude that all people used wine during New Testament, the New Testament era, both to drink and for medicinal purposes. But, when the Jews began to grow old and ferment, it would make one drunk. And for those reasons, those who drank wine had to use it in moderation. From the general teaching, we learned that no one, elder, deacon, preacher, or any member of the Lord's Church, can be a drunkard with the approval of God. But, does not follow from this that wine is a brevity, one absolutely and always forbidden. Wine is used for the purpose of medicinal purposes in the New Testament. And so far as we know from the exact opposite teaching of the Word of God, it was never used for the purpose of love. And back to the idea of the elder not given to wine, as I pointed out, let me read it again. It literally means one not subject to wine, not drunk. It calls attention to the not given to wine, that is, one who is not addicted to wine. In 1 Timothy 3 and verse 8, concerning the qualification of the deacon, that he is not given to much wine, the expression means, literally, not to be addicted to much wine. We know that drunkenness is forbidden in any form, because in Galatians 5 and verse 23, Drunkenness will convince. The idea appears to be, in the case of the deacons, not to indulge in wine in any form, as to become addicted to it. That is, not to indulge it in the, in the degree to become addicted or to become a drunkard or becoming drunk with wine. While in speaking with the elders or speaking of the elders, Paul stresses the complete absence from all intoxicating things. 
God does not permit the deacon to engage in a roadblock intoxicating drink any more than he does the elder. He instructs him to drink a little wine for his stomach's sake, but this is not the same as telling him to drink intoxicating drink just so he does not become drunk. Now, of course, back to our original question before we begin. We know, again, as we pointed out, the Bible does not literally forbid the drinking of any intoxicating drink. The reason I'm opposed to alcohol is that the principles of Christianity do forbid. We're told of the Holy Spirit that drunkenness will condemn them. Could I say something? Uh, yes, my brother Ruth. I hate to interrupt you. That's a lot of The Bible does forbid it, but it doesn't. What you mean by it doesn't forbid it? You mean it doesn't say so so many words, thou shalt not drink. That's exactly right. That's in those words. But at the same time, Galatians 5 and verse 23, drunkenness, uh, 21 through 23, drunkenness is the work of the flesh, and they who practice such, Paul says, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. We can say that drunkenness is forbidden on the part of the Christian because we're told to abstain from the very purest beast. We're told that anything that we engage in, if it causes a weak brother to come, of course, we are condemned and so doing. Paul so taught in Romans 14 concerning the eating of meat, sacrifice to ice. And I know of nothing that would cause a weak brother to come quicker than our indulging in uh, liquor in any form. Of course, our influence, I think, is one of the most uh, potent powers that we have at our disposal. And when one's influence is destroyed, he can have no effect for good in the kingdom of God. And I know of no man that can be of any influence on anyone else while drinking or while even occasionally giving to wine or to strong drink of any kind. I will go a step further and say that if anyone has an ounce of conviction, he'll violate his own conscience in so protecting of alcoholic beverage to any degree at any time. I heard this illustration, Brother Blue, and I'll hear this before we conclude this matter. Someone gave the illustration that there are, well, actually, it's a fact given by Mr. Hoover, that there are more than uh, 5 million alcoholics in the United States. And no one of these ever began to down the street an alcoholic, uh, knowing from the first drink that he took that he would become an alcoholic. He, most of them began with a social drink. One out of every 12, Mr. Hoover says, who is addicted to alcohol, even from social drinking, will become an alcoholic. And this is the illustration that I have given, and I'll pass it on. That's what 12 rattlesnakes in the football field and get 144 teenagers. Of course, that's one out of four. And take these 144 teenagers and let them cross back and forth across that football field. And out of these 12 rattlesnakes over there, 12 teenagers will get bitten from this rattlesnake. Who is willing to let his teenagers, or who is willing at any time, under any circumstances, to be a part of it. And yet one out of every 12 who begins to engage in alcohol and the drinking, even socially, becomes an alcoholic. And for that reason, we believe that alcohol is wrong. I trust this has answered the questions that were uh, phoned in. Do you have any other comment along this line? Yes, I do. Uh, 
All right. Unless there is additional questions, of course, no call three two eight six two seven. And this question will be glad to give further consideration to you. Brother Blue, we've been on another subject. We got off uh, temporarily concerning the questions that we called in, and of course, appreciate the questions we called in. But we've been on another subject for quite some time. And I believe that perhaps we will uh, give a little more attention to that this afternoon. And uh, what have we been discussing? Well, we've been discussing the, the Jewish political life and their lives as a nation, their lives as uh, the chosen people of God. And uh, today, I believe it would be good if we could consider the future state of the Jews. What's going to happen to them? Every time some political upheaval occurs that involves the Jews, somebody finds in the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Is that true or is it not true? Is there a Jewish nation? If so, what's going to happen to them? All right, we'll begin with the fact, uh, and most all of our verses, all the verses of Scripture that we'll read this afternoon are from the New Testament. And we're going to deal with two or three things. We're going to begin, first of all, with what is not going to happen to the Jews. And we'll turn to a passage in Matthew, the 21st chapter, because I believe this is one of the best verses that points out what is not going to happen to the Jews concerning the future state and concerning the future. I recall in Matthew 21 and beginning with verse 42 that Jesus here is teaching a lesson to the Jews and he says in verse 42, Jesus said unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same was made to his point. This was from the Lord and it was marvelous in our eyes. That's why I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken away from you, that is, the Jews, and shall be given to a nation bringing forth the fruit thereof. And he that falleth on this stone shall be broken to pieces. But whomsoever it shall fall, it will scatter him as dust. Remove is pointing out the fact that the stone which the builders projected, which is a quote from Psalm 118, I believe, verse 22. That is the stone, Christ being the stone, Acts 4, verse 11 and 12. The builders rejected. They turned away from God, they, uh, from Christ. They rejected. They finally crucified. And he says, because of this, the kingdom of God shall be taken away from you, the Jews, and shall be given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And of course, we know who this nation is, that being the Gentile nation. And it goes on and says that he that falleth on this stone shall be broken feet, but on whosoever it shall fall, it will scatter him as dust. Therefore, they lost the kingdom. The Jewish nation broke, never to be made whole again. Brother Blue, is there a passage of scripture that would deal with that with the Jewish nation was broke? Uh, we go to Jeremiah 19. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. And uh, we read now beginning in, in uh, chapter 19 of Jeremiah, beginning with the first verse. We have a uh, telephone call this morning. Did he use phone calls? Who was it that crucified the Lord? 
All right. Uh, we will get to that question in just a moment. And thank you for calling. The question has been asked on form forum that who was it that crucified the Lord? Well, of course, we can go back to the uh, Gospels, actually, and find out who it was that crucified the Lord, along with some passages uh, in the book of Acts that point out who was the party responsible for the crucifixion of the Lord. Well, Blue, I perhaps uh, Acts the second chapter, while I'm turning the order, you have Acts the second chapter. Yeah. All right. Uh, read the passage there that deals with the fact of who was that crucified the Lord. Uh, Acts 2.36, and this is the first gospel sermon, of course, it was preached by the Apostle Peter. Acts 2.36, and he was preaching to the Jews. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, that should answer that question. Right. He was talking to the Jews. And in chapter 3, uh, Peter says again in uh, verse 17, Acts 3.17, after he had John, uh, threw him in uh, John, uh, the Christ had healed the lame man. He says, And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance you did it, as did also your fathers. That is, they did not know that they were crucifying the person who actually fulfilled the Old Testament scripture and was to be the Messiah, promised Messiah. But they did crucify him. That's right. And the brethren, the first 17, Brother Blue, let's notice back in verse 12, the brethren is. And Peter saw, and when Peter saw this, of course, the, uh, group come together and saw them before. He addressed them as ye men of Israel. So we know who was responsible for the crucifixion of the Lord. This is especially interesting in view of the fact that uh, in the recent, uh, recently convened council in Rome, uh, the church there was uh, in a manner trying to exonerate the Jews, whether for political reasons or what kind of reasons, we're not to say, of course, but that the Jews were not guilty of deicide. That flies right in the face of these scriptures we have read from the Holy Spirit, that the Jews were guilty of the blood of Christ. They crucified the Son of God. All right. Uh, we'll take up this question. Is that enough on that one? Uh, I think this is sufficient to answer these two passages, both Peter talking and addressing the children of Israel, the Jews, and saying in no uncertain terms that ye by lawless hands did crucify and slay the Son of God. Oh, we might add this, though, that the Roman soldiers actually did the work. That's right, but at the hands of, him, uh, of the Jews. That was right. They were guilty of it. The Holy Spirit said they were guilty of it. Uh, now, we were on, uh, I started reading Jeremiah, verse uh, 19, chapter, verses 10 and 11, but I'm going to begin with chapter, with the verse, uh, first verse in the chapter. Now this is to tell what happened to the Jewish nation. Thus saith the Lord, Go and get a potter's earthen bottle, and take of the ancients of the people, and of the ancients of the priests, and go forth into the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the east gate, and proclaim there the words that I shall tell thee. Now it's getting to the fourth verse, you can't read all the chapters. Because they have forsaken me, and have estranged this place, and have burned incense in it unto other gods, 
whom neither they nor their fathers have known, nor the kings of Judah, and have filled this place with the blood of innocence. They have built also the high places of Baal, to burn their sons with fire, for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake. Now the whole, the upshot of the whole business is here that they were guilty of idolatry. And he goes on and tells now, he has told him to take an, a pot of earthen bottle for earthen vessel. And in verse 10 and 11, he tells him what to do with it. Then shalt thou break the bottle in the sight of the men that go with thee, and shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Even so will I break this people in this city, as one breaketh a potter's vessel, that cannot be made whole again. This people in this city, this generation, this race, and they shall bury them in Tophet till there be no place to bury. Now that's Jeremiah 19, verses 10 and 11, and that is the prophecy. And I'd like to call attention now to a, a statement of the qualifications of the prophet. Now, Brother Bob just read uh, where one prophet said that what had happened is that the kingdom would be taken from the Jews and given to another people, or to another nation. Now what happens? What kind of a, a, a man is this? We are told that uh, if a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, and if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, God has not spoken unto him. In other words, if a man speaks a prophecy, then if he is an inspired prophet, it's going to happen whether people can see the way it happens or not, whether it happens the way they want to or not. And this prophet said the kingdom would be taken from the Jews and given to another people. And the other prophet was to... Uh, with the illustration that he used there, he broke a potter's vessel that couldn't be made whole again, and God said that that's the way the nation of Israel would be. Is it true or is it not true? All right. Uh, Brother Blue, you pointed out that the Jewish nation is broken, that it would be made whole again. Well, to whom was the kingdom given? We read to say the kingdom was taken away from the Jews and given to another. This brings up a question that uh, certainly needs for our consideration. Is there a hope? To whom was the nation given? Well, I'll read in First Peter 2. The Apostle Peter speaking in this case, name for it. And I'll just begin reading the scripture uh, speak for itself. Because it is contained in the scripture, behold, I am thine, as each point stone, he lets expression. And he that believeth on him shall not be put to shame. And keep in mind that he's quoting from a number of Old Testament texts and fixing them up in application. For unto you that believe is precious, for such, but for such that is believe the stone which the builds rejected, the same was made that had the point, and they stone of the stumbling, and as often as it. For the stumble of the word being disappeared, for unto also they were appointed. But ye are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may show forth the excellencies of him that calls you out of darkness into his marvelous life. Who in times past were no people, but now are the people of God. Who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. All right, to whom was the kingdom given? He points out that the church is a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, or a peculiar people. And keep in mind, that every word that was used to describe fleshly Israel, these terms are now applied to the church. It's called Peter here speaking to the church. 
That sounds very much as if the kingdom was taken from the Jews and given to the church. Now let's read another passage that indicates that same thing. In Galatians 3, verse 26 29. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now I'm reading the King James Version, the American Standard Version. And it says, All the sons of God. For ye are all the sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I'll go back quickly to the opening verses in the church of Galatia, I mean the book of Galatians, and we read that it's addressed unto the churches of Galatia. And I've just read to you where they are the sons, they are the seed, they are the heirs, and they're the promise. And all of that was connected with the Old Testament history of the Jews when they headed the kingdom of David. All right, Brother Blue, is this strictly for Jew or for Gentile of this kingdom? Of course, I think we can read one passage, and perhaps that may be all the time you have. But one passage points out the fact that the distinction must be made between the Jewish nation and the Jewish individual. That the nation is no more, but they must be saved individually, just as the Gentiles are by first. In Romans 1, verse 16, the familiar passage, perhaps, to the Bible, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Jews. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith unto faith. For as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel being the power of God under salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, I believe that maybe we should cut this off here and make just one or two observations. We'd like to continue this a little bit, and we'd like to have some questions on it. Just today, I saw a little magazine called The Chosen People, and with reference to what's happened recently in the Middle East again, somebody was suggesting, of course, that they couldn't have won this lightning war as they did without a miraculous intervention by Jehovah. That isn't true. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. The Jewish nation no more exists. And we're going to continue reading some of these passages uh, next Thursday afternoon. And we hope you'll be listening to that. But if you've got any questions about the future of the Jews, well, we'd be glad to have it. And we won't tell you again that there's not a New Testament promise of the Jewish, of the Jews' restoration of the nation. Not one single one. Every promise made to the Jews as a nation of their restoration was made before or during their captivity or in the long period of their return from captivity to their homeland. And Nehemiah, and this is as fulfilled, he gave us weapons in the last time. Our time is almost up. Let me remind you of the services at the East Columbus Church of Christ on the Lord's Day morning, Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and 10 and 6, and on the Lord's Day evening at 7 o'clock. We also meet on Wednesday evening at 7.30 or a period of five or six. We cordially invite you to be at any call of these services. Remember the number to call at any time you have a question. 328-6227. And until next time, this is phone four. And we...
bid you a very pleasant day.